another episode of the wrinkled rabbit podcast as always i'm bill borowski i'm edward rebel and i am jason snyder no drew this week sad but it's true but it, we we're chugging ahead we're gonna keep going and hopefully he'll join us next week and speaking of this week we're talking about purple noon which is a jason pick so jason do you have six degrees of separation ready i do this Yay. one was actually a piece of cake. A walk through Yankee Stadium. No. Point your bat at center. <laughs> <laughs> so last week we watched Boogie Nights, which has the amazing Philip Seymour Hoffman, who played, uh, I believe, Freddy in the Talented Mr. Ripley adaptation in 99, which is adapted from the same source material, as Purple Noon, the talented Mr. Ripley. And that's the four degrees of separation or whatever. <laughs> yeah, pretty easy. It helps that there's an American remake of this, which hopefully we'll kind of get into, or at least hopefully one of us has seen it. But Jason, why'd you pick Purple Noon for us to talk about today? So as you guys can probably tell, I'm a pretty big fan of Elaine Delon. And I watched this movie when I was like going through a bunch of his a bunch of his work and this one really stood out and I wanted to share it with people just because it's adapted from the talented Mr. Ripley. I've not read the book. Uh, I did see the other movie though. And I was honestly surprised by how much more I enjoyed it this time. I remember it being like very sensually is that a word? Sensually seductive. And like, like that very, it has a great, um, tension to it. And I was shocked the first time I saw it when they, the murder happens like right in the middle <laughs> of the movie. Even a little bit before the middle, like it's yeah. like on like the 40 minute mark or something. And I was like, how, what is this movie going to become? Um, and I was very pleasantly surprised to see that it was just going to be one of those criminal trying to get away roles for Elaine Delon but this one is different to me because you get to see him smile which you don't really see in the other movies that we've watched and yeah I wanted to wanted to share it see what you guys think unlike Edward and Drew and you I I didn't have a chance to see uh the red circle two weeks ago but I do love Le Samurai and I I knew of the talent, talented Mr. Ripley, the American 90s remake with uh, Matt Damon and Jude Law, but I had like no idea what it was actually about. I just knew that it was a famous movie with Matt Damon. Around the time you first watched it and you were going on your Elaine Delon like kick, you were telling me about it and I was like, interesting. And I was wait. I assumed one of the movies would end up on the podcast and I was right. Uh, so I was glad I, I got a, a, a reason to watch it and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I love good crime caper movies. I, I mean, those are like my, my, my kryptonite 
and anything with like cat and mouse like there's a murder you got to try and hide the murder you you you're in sticky situations where you're with someone who kind of knows what you did but also doesn't know what you did uh that that's just like catnip to me so getting to see that where it's basically the whole second half of the movie is that and him just getting into these situations and also having that like sensuality that you mentioned where you they probably couldn't go all the way with like the homoeroticism since it was the 60s and people were pretty conservative back then but i would have liked it if it was a bit more gay because i think it just would have been uh even better and but it it was cool to kind of see because i mean elaine delon is just such a awesome actor because literally you could just look into his eyes and you could you know you know exactly what's going on so when basically the second half is almost entirely that for the most part with this um cinema verite kind of french new wave style where you have like that scene of him walking through the fish market which i loved and i it makes me want to watch the american remake which hopefully isn't god awful but i hear good really good things about it so there's like an interesting through line of uh elaine delon's like criminal activities in these movies that uh that jason has picked here and this one's this one's definitely like an interesting contrast because ripley in this movie is you know arguably as like methodical and planned out as the other character the one that he played the character he played in uh the red circle but there's much more like recklessness and just like, like emotion uh behind it as you said he smiles once but then also just um more generally in like the passion that's driving um kissing himself crimes. in the mirror it, yes yeah <laughs> exactly yeah and i'm glad i'm billy i'm glad you brought up his eyes too because that was what was striking to me with uh this character is that like calm intensity that he had all the time when you're when he's looking at people um and just into the camera and yeah it, it was a similar situation as red circle where you're really rooting for all of these things to plan out like to pan out or at least i was um just because of the great lengths that he's going to here and it's sim- i guess also similar to red circle how he's able to adapt to these changing situations almost like flawlessly it was just insane and of course at the end of the movie we see that uh he didn't account for everything no uh, he exactly did not. but and that also that is something i'm glad that they addressed because when he like fell out and you could see the body still sort of like trailing the boat i was like is that supposed to be happening is that right and of course it wasn't so i'm glad um that got addressed but yeah it was definitely a very enjoyable movie I, I'm on the same page as Billy, where like those sort of these sort of crime movies are ones that are going to interest me no matter what. So, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a good watch. Yeah, I I know we kind of touched a little bit on the like cold calculated energy that Elaine Delon brings to his roles, and the scene that really stood out to me in this was the scene toward the end with him and Marge, after like he writes the like suicide letter and like sends it off, and then he like climbs up the 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 house into the window and there's that like exchange of super extreme close-ups where basically their faces are taking up like 
75% of the frame where it, you just see his eyes and it, it's there. It's almost like looking into a doll's eyes. There's no sense of warmth or love in those eyes. They're, it's just dead and calculated. And that scene was one of my favorites just because it, it, you could cut the tension with a butter knife. It was just so good. And then I, I really didn't know if he was going to like kill her by the end of the scene or if she was going to kill him, if she actually knew what was going on. And I think that scene was a great little encapsulation of what I really enjoyed about the movie is that the whole movie just has this sense, sense of tension that just continues to pull you along. And right when you think the tension's going to kind of break... It snaps and he get, he doesn't get away with it as you, as I was expecting by the end of the movie. It's funny that you actually say that because um, I I guess in the book and I'm pretty sure they keep this ending for the '99 version. I'm not I don't really remember, but in the book Tom actually gets away. He goes to Greece and he's I think he has like a dream about uh about the the cops finding him and getting caught but then it ends there so there's this ambiguity as to whether or not they'll actually catch up to him whether or not he's going to have to continue living like this but they leave it open in the novel but i do i do really like that he gets caught in the in this movie i think it works for the idea of like your past actually catching up to you and like the boat literally pulls along and drags out the body the the skeletons in his closet basically which i love that shot where it was just yeah. following the body just slowly just skied up to the uh concrete yeah. oh gave me some good twin peaks vibes speaking of similar vibes uh the character tom ripley just reminded me of frank abagnale from catch me if you can yeah. <laughs> where he's just forging signatures just kind of like pretending to be other people just smuggling into different kind of opportunities and situations two very very different movies but i definitely got that vibe where i in the back of my head i kind of have that catch me if you can theme playing in the back of my head and uh yeah tom hanks kind of coming around the corner to catch elaine delon which i'd pay good money to see by the way yeah i think there's a lot of like visual carryover between this movie and catch me if you can uh, I just think that the way some things are shot reminded me a lot of that other movie. But speaking of which, I think one of the things that stood out the most to me this watch was how important the the visual storytelling is. Like, Bill, you brought up the fish market scene, and I replayed that scene twice uh, because I was like, it is literally him returning to the crime scene being proud of his work, strolling through the seafood, uh, all these dead fish um, with dead faces and dead eyes. And he's literally tasting his work. He's uh, tasting fish. Uh, and then he sees the scales and he freaks out again. The way that the movie carries out without having to explain what characters are thinking is what puts this above the, the other adaptation for me. Do you have seen the other adaptation? Yeah. Matt Damon is good in the role as Tom, but he cannot hold a candle to Elaine DeLon. Like, I, I'm assuming it's a very different take on the character because I just can't see Matt Damon being this cold and calculating. Uh, I, I see him being more of a tragic figure or like 
a lot more i don't know relatability or your attachment and charm than yeah elaine dillon who feels like a fucking shark <laughs> yeah they they definitely play up the boyish aspect with matt damon's uh tom and from what i remember that adaptation is a lot more gay than uh, good this good one. good but good. i actually didn't like the way that they they did it I think it became too gimmicky. Uh, I really like the, the like, like you said, where he's almost like a shark, where it's like this underwater sexuality, like very sensual. You're only seeing the dorsal fin. The other thing, uh, t- speaking out the comparison, just other versions of the character too, is I saw a lot of people were really upset about the ending. I assume that if we get a good uh, review, that that'll bring it up. The letterbox review I have pulled up actually. Okay, then we'll, I'll so. save that uh, for that time then. But I also just really loved how Bill, you brought up uh, brought up something that made me think about this. I forget what it was, <laughs> but just the fact that Ripley is like it starts off with him wanting the second life and like desiring um, to have Philippe. Right, Philippe is the guy's name. He mm-hmm. wants uh, everything that Philippe has um, and like tries to mimic him and become literally become him. Um, and then after he's killed him, there's like a certain need where he like actually like in order to make an alibi for himself or confuse the situation so he doesn't get caught. He literally needs to become him as well in order to forward that. And then, you know, he keeps going and the situation keeps going where it's, um, him wanting to be this other person and then him needing to, and then by him needing to, he further goes into wanting to become his life and living that extravagant lifestyle. And then something else will happen where he like needs to go deeper into this. Like, for example, like when Freddie basically figured out what the deal was and he had to kill him and then go deeper. So it, it was just really cool to see the story play out in that way where it's just this constant snowballing of, the necessity for him to be the second person and then him enjoying it even more and then forcing that hand just over and over again. Also, I lied. The review doesn't mention the ending. So if you want to bring that oh up, go ahead. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to reread it to double check. So I wasn't lying to you guys. So yeah, turns out I well, was to go back to that. I heard that people were upset at the fact that he was caught and would say like, well, this isn't, mr ripley's character you know he would never get caught in this kind of situation like he's you know yeah no meticulous yeah i i think it it works at least for me because he has this sense of arrogance about him like oh i pulled this off i mean he literally goes around like telling everyone oh i'm i'm philip greenwood or philippe greenwood or, or whatever the hell that character name is so when when he it when it feels like when he first kind of enters the hotel, he's literally like saying it for everyone can hear, and he's like going around it. It 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 felt like kind of just desserts where the arrogance finally kind of caught up to him, where it was like, okay, you had your fun, now it's time to pay the piper. Might not be similar to the book or faithful to the book, but sometimes with adaptations, they should be allowed to make changes. Which, as someone who does love original source material and novels and stuff film is a completely different medium but who knows maybe the original ending works really well with uh the 
American remake. I don't know if Jason can testify to this, but I know you mentioned you like this one more than the American remake. I do like this one more. I don't remember how how the other one ends. Um, sorry. <laughs> ah, you're okay. <laughs> but... We're talking about this one. The 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 one thing I I will say is that the character of Philippe, I I just don't under I I kind of get that the sense that it. Ripley hangs around with him mainly to get access to his wealth and money and stuff, but he's such a fucking jackass and pig. I, I can't imagine staying this, staying with him for this long and not killing him sooner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and he was so, I mean, you want to talk about arrogance. He like was playing with Tom. It was like the idea that Tom was going to kill him. He didn't actually think that that, could even happen to him seemingly he was just treating it like it was a joke <laughs> for for the most part yeah and yeah i i agree <laughs> like the fact that uh, we saw 40 minutes of that and i wasn't sure to clarify were they actually friends when they were younger because obviously they had some sort of relationship i it think wasn't so like, yeah i just there was a lot of misdirection at the beginning um and it was hard to me for me to piece together what the actual like how he came, they came to know each other, why the dad sent him, did the dad send him, that that whole thing. Well, in this one, they make it a lot more ambiguous as to whether or not they actually know each other. They don't really throw much in there to confirm whether or not it's true. But to my recollection, in the 1999 one, uh, they make it really clear and obvious that Tom is just lying out his ass and he's and I actually found out how the other one ends so he does go to Greece and it's implied that Ripley and Peter I fucking forget who Peter is um it implies that they're lovers so that's like they basically make Tom elope with the with this dude and then he kisses a um uh meredith who would have been uh marge in this in this version in purple noon so he kisses um mr greenleaf's ex and then peter sees it happen asks ripley about it and then ripley starts crying and strangles peter so he kills his current gay lover um yeah i did not remember any of that but (laughs) oh I like the sound of it though. Ha- has yeah, I like more the sound of a sense of, it sense too. of ambiguity and tragedy to it than just like, "I ah, got caught. He's going to jail. Bye bye. End the movie." Which I did kind of laugh as he like walked off camera, and it was like, "Dun dun dun." The end because I just love <laughs> the cheesy old school movie endings where the music just swells and the massive the end pops up, and it just kind of felt out of place with something that's so kind of new wavy and then they just take this very hollywood thing and drop it at the very end (laughs) i was actually curious um this time whether there was any implication that the ending was like like i wondered if they were making an effort at all to make it seem like maybe tom is fine maybe he'll end up getting i mean we never do see him in cuffs so maybe you could say he like ran away or something, but D- 
due to the swelling of the score and everything, all everything seems yeah. to imply that he got caught. But since you never do actually see him in handcuffs with the police or anything, you could also view it as that. But I think through the filmmaking, it makes it pretty clear that he probably yeah. he got caught. Yeah, I don't know what his excuse would have been. <laughs> After oh my that. god like, wasn't me was he fell <laughs> he fell off the boat oh, oh no i didn't notice his chest oh geez oh geez. oh that's right i forgot to tell you guys he like tripped and fell on the knife and then he accidentally rolled off the boat i couldn't do While anything wrapping himself up or wrapping a, himself in tarp up in tarp and rope <laughs> i was too stunned to do anything oh no I did find that, uh, or I did find myself laughing quite a bit during the movie. Like, I think there's some, like, kind of tongue-in-cheek humor. Like, like just the absurdity that someone would even think they could get away with this stuff. Uh, I think the whole premise is hilarious, and they, they make it equally fascinating while not losing moments to laugh. I do, I do agree with Jason, though. There are plenty of moments... Uh like that either just implied or like the one shot where Ripley's carrying Freddie down the stairs and <laughs> the camera's just sort of aimed up like the foyer or whatever. And you see his like hand dangling. Yeah. You remember that? It's like, what? Like, why is, why did they do that shot? Because that shot is really funny. <laughs> like, that's the only reason. <laughs> that whole, that whole idea is hilarious too. Like, someone <laughs> first of all he kills freddy and then leaves his apartment to like go do stuff during the day and then yeah. comes back and he's like well time to deal with this dead body i uh yeah he that i killed with, with a buddha statue how fucking hilarious is that <laughs> another thing i liked that also oh reminded me God. of the samurai is that you you see it's not like he hits Philippe on the head or he kill, he stabs Philippe and then suddenly his body's in the water. You see his whole process of him dealing with the situation, putting the body together, throwing it in the water, him getting caught up with it, him having to swim back. Like You see the whole process of this when you could easily just do a cut to bodies already in the water and he's sailing off, you know? Which, again, probably would have made this movie maybe like a half an hour shorter because that's a good chunk of the movie, but it's nice to kind of see those details, especially stuff like him practicing the signature on the wall with all the big sheets of paper and the projector, which I loved just things like that, where you're just getting scenes of him meticulously, like doing these things and showing like the details and how he actually went about doing that when it could literally have just been like a shot. And then like next scene, Getting to see those de details gets you more involved and interested in the character. Yeah, that's something we talked about with uh, the Red Circle as well. Like, you can see them planning, and there's just a lot of time spent on that. Um, and like specifically, the one that we talked about was the marksman like making this alloy um, that was supposed and to. And don't be spoil the goddamn movie. I'm still gonna watch. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but he was making an alloy that was gonna be used in the heist. Yeah, I just think of I think of movies today that would go like whip through all these things in a montage with like quippy dialogue and they're like, We're gonna be doing like this is gonna be used for this and like 
I'm going to emphasize this right now with like a, a shot of the character using it. And they're like, whoa. And then you know it's going to come up later. Or it's got really bad voiceover where it's like, I did this, then that, then this, then that. Like a bad Guy Ritchie movie. But there you go. There's plenty of like absolutely horrible ways or just not well thought through ways to do this. And um, the fact that they spend that much time on it is, yeah, it's cool. It's like, it's refreshing. In yeah. a way. Part of the thing that humanizes Tom, you get to see him be really, really good when he needs to be, but you also get to see him kind of fuck up and stumble and struggle a little bit. So he's not like a superhero. And the whole time you're like, you're a smart dude, but you're not going to get away with this. I don't know why you think you're going to get away with this. Yeah. I think it's time for a little segment we like to call... Listen, you little wiseacre. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. Ends the segment where we pick a letterbox review, we read it. Gives us usually the flip side, more negative side of the perspective we're talking about today. And we give our counterpoints of why they should give it another chance for another watch. But Drew's not here, so I'm going to take it away with this week's review. And this person's favorite movies are High and Low, The Last Picture Show, the taking of Pelican Pelham Pelican Pelham one two three and a movie we talked about on the podcast before, Night of the Hunter. And it goes a little something like this. Watch this oh, they gave it uh, a star and a half. Watch this after seeing the talented Mr. Ripley years ago and also having read the book that both films are based on. For me, the version this version comes off as the weakest by comparison. The part w- which it does well, Ripley's improvisations after the murder, his connection, his co- connections with the police and the different moving parts of the investigation are still better in the no- novel and the second film adaptation. Then there are also parts of Purple Noon which are pro- poorly executed and come off e- even worse in comparison as the other adaptations. In this film, the beginning of the story where Ripley first meets and becomes involved with Marge and Dickie is cut, and the film starts mid-relationship, and for me this felt abrupt. It gave less space for the characterizations of the different leads and for Ripley's fixation on Dickie. Dickie, the Oh, fuck? that's his name in the I think the that's book, his I name believe. in the other versions. Oh, why the fuck didn't they call him Dickie? That's so much better. Uh, in general, the roles in this felt m- more underwritten and flat with re- less engaging acting performances. The direction also felt more workmanlike than really inspired. I think if I watched this cold, I would have definitely have left with a better impression, but still only a fair to middling one. As it is, I found this version pretty redundant and wouldn't have any interest in rewatching it, whereas I'd be happy to revisit both the Highsmith novel and the film adaptation so that is this week's review thoughts kind of kind of weird to call it redundant when i think it was the first like adaptation of this right like you would say redundant Um, if they had already made one and then this one was just uninspired but like i don't that's just a weird critique in the first place um but the other thing I want to mention is they said the characterization was bad because they jumped right into these characters without establishing how they knew each other. And that I feel like that's just completely wrong. <laughs> if you, anything, you it allows the movie to kind of get going. And you you already know at the start, oh, they're friends, they have a connection, so on and so forth. It would have been cool to have seen 
the meet and get a bit of bit more of a connection between the two characters because if i do have to say one criticism i guess is that you have a few scenes with them as friends but i would have liked to have seen more of that especially when the murder happens so relatively early in the story it's not enough of a criticism to really detract from the movie at least for me because i think the relationship is well developed i just think it could have benefited from it being seen more yeah so in the book and the 99 adaptation there's like a bit of space between before tom ripley actually meets philip greenleaf or dickie greenleaf whatever for the first time and the way i remember it is like that bit of space where they don't where they're not interacting where tom is looking for uh greenleaf that really establishes the fact that Tom has no, or Tom and Greenleaf, I'm just going to call them Ripley and Greenleaf. Ripley and Greenleaf have never met before. Like their first interaction is Tom going up to him and being like, hey, Dickie, Dickie Greenleaf, you remember me? And um, I believe it's Jude Law in the 99. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, from, uh, yeah, from university or whatever. And Ripley, like, makes something up, pulls it out of his ass as usual. Uh, and then Philip, tur- or Dickie, whatever, fuck, turns away and goes to his uh, his friend, Philip Seymour Hoffman. And he's like, I have no fucking clue who this guy is. I've never met him before in my life. I'm just going <laughs> to play with him a little bit. And that's how you, like, get into their relationship. Mm. So it's, like, very clear that something is off. But I, like in purple noon how they they immediately get you into the story and you're like oh these guys are buddies they have a weird relationship oh my god he's trying on his clothes wait a second he's telling his girlfriend that he's never met this guy before and like slowly you get the information that wait what the fuck is going on (laughs) you know yeah it just serves to make uh ripley's character all the more like discomforting and mysterious in that way so in that yeah just going back to the critique that this person put on i think it's like it's valid to say that you know it's harder to like catch along with the plot and whatnot but i definitely don't think it affects the way these characters are viewed which as the movie picks up helps even more the way these these two were established from the start so yeah I'm, i'm glad the way they handled it in this one if anything, this makes me want to rewatch or not rewatch, watch the American re- remake or interpretation like now, just because they sound like two very distinct takes on the source material. And I mean, I'm glad where you, you have a problem with remakes where it's just like beat for beat, the same thing over and over again. And if you are going to reimagine a story that's been told before, either in a novel or uh, like, not uh, more so remakes in film than like first adaptations it's better to do a different adaptation whether it be more closer to the source source material or further away from it but as long as you like differentiate yourself from the original like adaptation of the story and kind of reason yourself for existing that's that's the stuff i like i'm just looking at all the all the different adaptations 
I there saw that in... there's one that's getting made into a TV show, and Andrew Scott is going to be playing Tom Ripley. Tom Ripley, and, yeah. And also uh, Steve Zalian, who wrote The Irishman, uh, is going to be writing and directing it, which sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, they're, that'll be the, the second TV show, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, the first adaptation ever was a TV show in 1956. And then they did oh. two movies... Three movies. There's an Indian uh, Tamil language one as well. BBC radio show, audiobook, theatrical production. No shit. And here I thought it was just a movie with Matt Damon. So it's like all over the place. And then there Fuck was the, the no. <laughs> I know there was the 2002 one with like John Malkovich. So is Ripley? Wait, like whoa, 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 whoa! Back up, what? John Malkovich. What? Who does John Malkovich play? Ripley. Oh my what? god, I need to see this. <laughs> Ripley's Game, I think it's called. Oh, is that an ad- adaptation of this? It's, well, that's what I was going to ask. It, it could because... be like, I know the the book is a series of books. Could it be like an adaptation off a, like one of the other books? That was my question. Is, is Ripley like an anthological character or something? I think there are like Cause... four or five books, if, I, if I'm not okay. mistaken. Yeah, Ripley's Game, the third book in Patricia Highsmith's Ripley series. Who also wrote the inspiration, the novels for Stranger, Strangers on the Train, Strangers on a Train, the Hitchcock movie, and also the novel that inspired the film Carol. So, the more you know. Wow. Okay. She might have something going in this writing game. Yeah, she should, uh, <laughs> I, I feel like she's an up-and-comer. Up she, she, she might, uh. She might turn something great. Real quick, I just want to bring up before we we go to close. Uh, I wondered for a while why the hell it was called Purple Noon. And initially I thought, well, you kill someone, there's blood, and that's red, and the ocean is blue. You mix those, you get purple. And he did it at noon. noon. Purple Noon. Uh, Turns out that's not it. (laughs) Oh. Um, It's actually based on a poem pretty long poem so i'm not gonna read it but the whole idea of it is like this uh the the author is like reflecting he's looking at um he sees like this beautiful ocean and like mountains and they're really beautiful and then he looks at the bottom of the ocean and gets really depressed and i think the whole poem is supposed to be about uh like taking full advantage of whatever situation you're in and taking in the full beauty and actually living in that moment and i think that fits really well with uh with tom's character how he's he loves to grasp on to to situations and and um uh opportunities and he hangs on a little bit too long sometimes <laughs> yeah especially at the end where he's sitting on that chair with the whiskey or just drink and he's like the best of yeah. the best the best of the best I like that. I've got to read that poem now. But with that being said, I think it's time for final thoughts. I'll go first. Purple New. It is a Lane Delon. It's a crime thriller. Uh, can mouse kind of chase. Not really a chase, but more of a can mouse kind of game. And if you, any of those sound appealing to you, this is definitely worth a watch. If you have only seen The Talented Mr. Ripley, I think this is a interesting take 
on the source material, having not read the source material or seen the talented Mr. Ripley, it definitely makes me excited to see other versions of this story and how they adapt the characters. And yeah, it was just a very entertaining kind of slow burn watch. So yeah, thanks for suggesting it, Jason. Yeah, coming off the Red Circle from two weeks ago, it was cool to see Delon play a similarly like methodical character, somebody who's like planned um, things out extensively um, in his crime and seems to be like two steps ahead of everyone most of the time. But then also in this movie, have more of that like creep factor and like using um, using charm on people to sort of like drive things as well. It definitely was. It was a cool. It was another cool element uh, that this movie brought for sure with the with that Ripley character. And yeah, if you have any more uh, Melaine Delon like crime related movies <laughs> to dig up, Jason, keep them coming because this one was great. Uh, similar to what Billy said, I wasn't sure how they were going to do this or what sort of direction it was going to take after it seemed like the main plot, uh, at least with the two leads was killed off like 30 or 40 minutes through but seeing him go through all these situations in a really nice looking like italian um setting like everywhere they went italy's always it was setting yeah yeah it was really it was really cool to see so yeah it's a great pick oh thanks i do have more elaine delon movies i could put on although he's uh not a criminal he's a well, these people can be criminals. He's a stock floor trader. Nah, so. I only accept Elaine Delon criminal <laughs> movies. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think in the other two movies that we watched. I was like, what is what is so different about this movie, this performance of his, than what we've seen already? And like I said, he smiles. He literally does not crack a smile at all in any of the other movies, I don't think. And also, this is like start of his career. I think this is like his second movie, which is oh, damn. crazy. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's, you can tell he's very young in this movie. Fresh-faced. Um, yeah. But this movie, I'm glad that I returned to it because I remember liking it and I like it even more now. Um, the visual storytelling is fucking incredible. Uh, on point, it's like Elaine Delon made the movie, or Tom Ripley made the movie himself. It's just so meticulous. Um, and like we talked about, the tension building is beautiful. Uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful movie. Uh, I, and I really love the the like sensual, seductive nature of it everything going on underneath it's like call me by your name but uh what's his name elio oliver elio, he actually gets yeah. to kill the other one because i guess <laughs> in the book uh he talks a lot about hating oliver and wanting to kill him so you get that here <laughs> well said everybody as always and now it is time to spin the wheel andrew's not here so i'm gonna do it for him and let's let's see who it lands on oh boy oh boy 
It's a me. All right. What do you got for us this uh, yeah. Christmas? So, uh, yeah, it's Christmas time, uh, magical season. Um, and as you could tell from my previous two picks, I haven't really been picking serious movies. And guess what? Th- that's not changing. So next week, we're going to be watching. You know what? This one actually has Christmas somewhat involved. It's another crime kind of movie. And you know what it's called? It's called The no. Nice Guys, baby. We're <gasps> going to be talking about Shane oh. Black, Ryan Gosling, Russell Crowe, yes. uh, and Killer Bumblebees. It, it's a little underrated dandy that uh, bombed at the box office when it came out. I preached everyone to go see it. And now I'm going to preach all of you guys to rewatch it with me. So check out The Nice Guys for next week for our little Christmas episode, or a little bit after Christmas. Uh, thank you to King Liam, as always, for the great intro oh, and yeah. outro music. And watch out for those killer bees. They'll get you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.